Hello, I'm Adam Robertson and you're listening to This Is Irobox, the Rangers podcast. Please stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of This Is Ibrooks The Rangers Podcast. I'm your usual host, Martin Douglas, and joining me on the pod tonight, we have Willie Boyd and Tommy McIntyre. How you doing, lads? I'm fine. Yeah, evening, lads. How is lockdown treating you for week, what is this, 17? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about you guys, but I actually quite enjoy it. I- I've got no problem working from home and sitting out in the back garden whenever I get the chance. Uh, my, my thoughts go out to people who are in flats or anything like that, because that would be driving me stuck crazy right now. I'm just uh, kind of working outdoors still, so I've not really found too much difference. How many kids have you got, Tommy? <laughs> I'm not giving them. Because <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to guess by that statement, zero. Because <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if you've got kids, you are not enjoying lockdown. All my wine and whiskey are my children at this point. <laughs> <laughs> wine and whiskey are my coping mechanisms. And saying that, I don't know what I'm talking about. I work six. I still work six days a week. So, but right, lads, let's let's get on with it because we've got quite a lot to discuss tonight. And later on in the pod, I managed to have a sit down chat with John Gibbons from the Anfield Rap Podcast. John was kind enough to give me some of his time, so you'll hear that interview later on in the pod. Right, gents, Rangers released a statement on Monday, Thomas, about deferring wages for first-team players to make sure that non-playing staff continue to be paid. Yeah, they did, and I I don't think it's any great surprise, maybe some of the formation of it and how the the club came to that decision-making process was a bit of a surprise and nice to hear, and I'm sure we'll touch on that. But uh, I'm certain that we discussed this on the pod perhaps last week, and uh, I remember saying myself that no club in Scotland would be immune from the coronavirus financial fallout. Uh, It's unsurprising that Rangers have made a move. What was good to see, though, uh, from the, the, the stories coming out from the club and on social media and from the players themselves, was that... This was driven by senior players saying, first and foremost, we are willing to take the hit because we really, really want people working inside the club, the staff, the non-playing staff, to be insured of their 100% wage. Now, that is a fundamentally fundamental difference from some other clubs' approach in terms of not relying on government handouts, but actually taking a principled position from the players themselves. It's great to see. We'll see if we have to make different you know, decisions further down the track, depending on how far coronavirus goes and the timescales. But ultimately, it was a, a great statement. It was welcome in terms of seeing the club take a principled position and be forerunners within this country of that type of position, which is where I always expect Rangers to be. And ultimately, it's the right thing for lower-paid members of staff instead of going on furlough, to know that they've got the confidence and the safety net of the club to continue to pay them 100% wages. Three cheers for those members. And, and like we said uh, last week, Willie, uh, on the pod, that 
and Thomas just said there, no club is immune from financial difficulty when, when all this coronavirus, COVID-19 stuff's going on, lockdown's going on. But we did say that there has to be measures put in place before we, we use government handouts and before we put our non-playing staff on furlough. And as Thomas said, the players have really stepped up. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's great to see the kind of camaraderie that's in there. Obviously, the, the way we've been playing uh, for the start of this kind of year, you would have thought we've all kind of fell out and, and lost our way a wee bit, but it's great to see some senior members of the uh, first team squad bringing it upon themselves to kind of go out there and try and put something to safeguard the futures of the people that maybe don't get all the praise that work for Rangers. I'd probably add to that if I was being slightly more tongue-in-cheek. It will be interesting to see if it's the wages from January that the players are deferring because they probably shouldn't have picked them up anyway. <laughs> well, that's quite true. But, but Thomas, because the players have took a three-month uh, wage deferral, does that mean categorically that all the non-playing staff will receive their full wages for the three months and then after that, that, that might be when Rangers possibly go down the furlough route or take other measures to, to pay their staff? Well, absolutely. And from a from a company point of view, right, if we t- step back from the club here, because there's an operating an operating company, from a liquidity point of view, so that's your short term money in the door, money out the door, paying wages, paying bills, and all that type of stuff. No business within the country or globally is unaffected by the coronavirus pandemic and the financial fallout of that, right? And Scottish football's always on the financial fringe of football anyway because of the, the size of the league and the, the TV money etc Rangers have put their principles first here and put people first in terms of making sure that the lower paid members of staff receive that 100% wage will it be and I think you know Dave King and the board uh, and the statements that have come out from the, the club prior to Dave King stepping away and, and subsequently have made it very clear as one would expect from a you know good governance of a company this is being continually looked at on a hour by hour, daily basis. We've made the right decision right now for people. Will we have to access the the furlough fund, for want of a better way of putting it, that the government has set up further down the line? Absolutely. Uh, I I think that that will have to be on the table because no club can indefinitely pay out money without getting it back in. There's other factors there about renewal money, uh, Rangers, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on this uh, in a couple of moments, Martin, so my apologies for jumping ahead, but in terms of a financial point, Rangers tabled a member's resolution to the SPFL board to say that prize money should be passed out as well because that will help ease the financial burden on clubs. And that includes Rangers as well because money in the door. So will we have to, the short answer is, will we have to continually review this and could the landscape change? Absolutely yes. But is it a great thing that Rangers have put principles in front of pounds and people in front of profit? Then Yes, absolutely, that is the best thing to have done and we'll keep reviewing it and we might have to access the fund at a later date. Absolutely, we might have to access the fund but I'm just proud that as a club that wasn't the first thing we looked at was government money. We actually tried to do something about it. Now, like you mentioned there, Thomas, there was another statement today but before we come on to that, I would like to talk about something else that came out today, William, and that was an SPFL proposal that the bottom three leagues, the Championship League 1 and League 2, would be finished and they would be decided on a points-per-game ratio. What do you make of that? At least they're coming up with something now, I suppose, but I don't see the fairness in it or the sporting integrity that 
everybody was crying out for in 2012. I don't understand how you can hand out awards for the champions who haven't played all their games and uh, got to the, the kind of over the finishing line, so to speak, but uh, of rele- and relegate teams as well. How does it, the playoff positions work? Do they go down? Do they come up? I don't know. I didn't really read too much. I think I got halfway down the statement and I decided that's a lot of shite. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people did as well. But, but Thomas, I want to take a wee dive into this and I want to ask a couple of hypothetical questions. And the first one, the first question I want to ask is, if we were in the position in every league where top was top, they were 25 points ahead, at the bottom they were 25 points behind, would that make it easier to implement something like this if the positions were pretty much set, or does the principle still stand that in order to crown a champion and relegate teams, the seasons have to be finished? Well, I think that's an interesting question, so I'll take it on two different two different levels, because I think there's two questions inside that, if you'll bear with me. First point, though, even before I get to them, is anything that has a, a quote in it from Murdoch McLennan is instantly grubby, in my mind, because it's a, there's a gentleman that's, uh, and I use the word gentleman uh, in italics, obviously, and very advisedly, who's not for the trusting, as my granny used to say. So I would be very sharp-eyed when it comes to this particular proposal and I know other people will be working through the scenarios but in terms of your question is it right to from a principal position to finish the league early and trying to come up with a mathematical structure that gets to a position not a massive fan in all honesty I think you play a league out and if you can't play the league out you need to take a position that that league never actually finished so if and I don't see that I don't see that in the proposal that they are trying to get to a position to cap the league and say, right, it's done, as opposed to saying this is what the league looked like and finished and we're all fine and fair with that. Those are two slightly nuanced and different things. Um, So I'm not a fan of the proposal. I'm not a fan of the idea that a league should ever be finished early uh, and then trophies and, and trinkets handed out. And ultimately, having looked at the proposal that they've put out, and it's very interesting that they've only picked the lower leagues, they haven't picked the, the Premiership either. I know it's mentioned in the, the uh, statement, but they don't actually give like the infogram with the, the league table and stuff like that. They've, they've taken a, a wide berth away from the, the most hot potato one. But I'm not a big fan of the way that they've, they've worked this out. Essentially, they're, they're not doing anything that changes the league uh, table layout. So therefore, they're, they're not taking a position on any standings. They're saying, let's status quo, but we'll dress it up a wee bit with some numbers round about it and a pseudo-mathematical, hypothetical um, structure that gets us to the same place we're already in. That's the story here. It's the same place we are in. Status quo, status quo, status quo. The thing I don't understand is the Championship, Partick Thistle played a game less, they're bottom of the league, but if they win that, they're off the bottom of the table. Are they going to just relegate them? Or does it, maybe the average points, is that, wouldn't it work out, wouldn't it? No. The average points have clearly got a worse kind of points tally than now so average would that be better or worse maybe yeah you're absolutely right uh william and under the proposal here so and i'm quoting directly from from the statement so if approved this would this if approved being the the mathematical structure that they're proposing this would result in the promotion of dundee united for example wraith rovers and cove rangers and the relegation of Partick Thistle and Stranraer. So I would think, even though they say that they've consulted extensively with its for- with the 42-member clubs, I can't imagine a scenario whereby clubs like Stranraer 
or Partick Thistle are being relegated and would not put in a substantial legal challenge unless there's an agreement that they will receive some sort of parachute payment from the leagues in question or from the SPFL to cushion the blow of being relegated out of the league without the league finishing. Now, that's maybe the clubs working against each other because it's fairly divisive, that idea. But I would also think there's no amount of money that the SPFL could give to a club like Stranraer or Partick Thistle that balances out their absolute need to get back up into the league they've been relegated from at the first time of asking because these clubs can't really afford to go further down. I mean, Partick Thistle would be staring at part-time uh, annihilation in the face at that point. So I, I don't understand how they... We're concentrating on you know, promotion and winning league titles. I think the real... And obviously, I'm interested in that as being a Rangers fan because I, I don't think anybody in the league can be given a, a title, but I don't understand how they work out and then stand by the relegation of clubs when a league isn't finished. And we're not talking one or two games here. We're talking a relatively substantial amount of games within the, the league season. So how do you then sell that to a club to say, by the way, we're essentially firing you down in our league and this could be the, the start of your drifting towards non-league football? How, how you sell that to somebody, I've no idea. And how you sell it to the wider public, I've no idea. What I do think is, if they railroad this through, it will be pretty divisive for a long time in Scottish football. I also don't like the fact of using, and I know, listen, I know what happens in every league, but using the bottom leagues as guinea pigs, I've, I've never liked that. But, but William, the real question is here, if the season can't be finished, what is the best option? that the, the SFA, the SPFL can use, because clearly using this points per game ratio, whatever it is, like you've just said there, that's fine for crowning your champions and people and your teams that are relegated but then you've got your teams that, that are in the playoffs and, and it's extremely unfair on them. My own personal thought, the thoughts on, on the situation were, this is the absolute perfect time to restructure the leagues that way, if you if, if listen, if Celtic are crown champions, sure us are crown champions, right? There's nothing that we can do. We can't change what the SPFL are going to do. But if we can find a way to restructure our league through this, that might be the one shining light to come out here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's plenty of ways you could maybe restructure the, the leagues. Maybe add a few more teams into our league, split up the... I would maybe get rid of the, the whole kind of split. I don't really like it, if I'm honest with you. It's just to really get us and them... More, more games against each other, really. But see, just kind of going off track slightly here, your question, I'm still trying to figure out how they think that they're... I don't think it'll pass. I, I just don't, and then they're going to be back to what Route 1? Or is this a kind of... I don't know, it seems like a take-it-or-leave-it kind of thing. As if they're trying to pass the buck on to somebody else to maybe try and get this kind of vote through. I think they're expecting a result in, what, early next week. I, I can't see it happening. I think between League One and League Two, you need seventy-five percent of the vote. And if you look at League One for talking sake, there's eight points separating first to fifth. So that's maybe five teams that are potentially well, f- say four because Rafe Rovers are one up that don't want to go. And it's kind of it's quite kind of tight. Well, not really for the champions, but for everyone else, it's kind of tight in the rest of the leagues. It's kind of mid-table. I don't know in relegation, it's. I can't see it going through, to be honest, and we're just going to be back at Route 1 anyway. But I, I don't think we should be handing out titles and relegations to clubs when we've not completed our full seasons. It should be a full season, or I don't know what should happen, but they should maybe even just 
do something to next season if there's a next season. But I've said before on the podcast, I don't think we're going to kick an air ball in 2020. Can I also just caveat the question that I asked Wally there by saying I completely disagree with any team being handed a title, but my own personal feeling is, and I don't know if you guys agree, that there's nothing we can... In fact, Thomas, I'll ask you this question. Is there anything that Rangers can do if the SPFL award Celtic the title? Is there anything that any other teams in any of the other leagues in Scotland can do if clubs are awarded the title or relegated? I'd be surprised if every club in Scotland who can reasonably afford it hasn't already taken legal opinion on this in terms of expected prize money for expected league finishing position. And in the particular case that you mentioned here, let's just talk about the Premiership. Hearts, for example, uh, I believe have already taken legal um, opinion on whether they had a, a, have a, re- a reasonable legal challenge to be relegated, for example. I'm sure Rangers have taken a position on, hold on a minute, we are being told that we can't, you know, we, we're not in a, a league title fight when we quite clearly are. Celtic will have taken it because they want to through. And whilst I'm on Celtic, uh, I might as well, you know, address the, the, the green elephant in the, in the corner, so to speak, that although I, you know, wouldn't in any way, shape or form be happy if Celtic were to be given the, the league title, no matter what happens, this league title, if, if it's given out, or this league in general, right, this season, is asterisk. You know, so if I was a Celtic fan, I would be pretty pretty disappointed that the best I can ever hope for from here on in is uh, you might have won a title, but you never really. Now, I know a lot of Celtic fans will take that with glee and would be would be delighted, but no matter whatever happens, they are their run of titles is now completely either derailed or completely tainted if it wasn't already before. But in terms of the legal position, yeah, I would imagine there'll be lots of challenges to this because, and it goes to William's point as well, maybe that's why they're guinea-pigging it on the Championship in League 1, League 2. I think the hiding behind the uh, Scottish Government's opinion in terms of the timescale of what can and can't be played and, and maybe keeping their options open that they can play the Premiership, although I suspect all they really want to do is play one more game so Rangers get to 30 games, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose, at this point. And there's a bit of a, a blind alley. What they want to do is they want to see how this lies out in the Championship and then try and reload it back through to say you've got a precedent set. That's what this is. This resolution is a precedent setter. We've done that in the other three leagues. Why wouldn't we do it in the Premiership? Because we can't have a difference of outcome between the four leagues. That's the, the story I think's not yet we've not paid enough clarity to this is a precedent setter it's a hair in the a hair in the grass so to speak see some she's just kind of coming in here I wouldn't be surprised if the SPL or SPFL or the SFA whoever it is you can sue want us to do that they obviously don't have the funds to maybe pay out whatever possible financial implications there could be maybe they'll go and nuclear themselves if you know what I mean then restructure football that way maybe that's what they want I don't know maybe I sound mental but that's just something that, I, that was in the back of my head there. Conspiracy theory, Wally, I like him, I like him. <laughs> you know, I've never heard of a, a national FA doing a new call. That would be exceptional to see you, William, <laughs> and some, some theory. Um, it would be interesting to see, but uh, I just think it's a, it's, a, it's a grubby land grab. And what I should say is, I do understand some of the pressure because... Uh, UEFA, for example, haven't been particularly helpful, neither of FIFA, in terms of saying, well, we, we would have a problem with European payouts if you can't finish your leagues. So there's a a bit of a gun to the head 
to say you need to do everything you can to finish your league. So I understand that pressure, but uh, the not, I don't think sufficient level of thinking about the Premiership has been had yet and what they are trying to do is use the lower leagues as a, a test case set a precedent and then say well this has worked here we might as well just uh, put that on top of the premiership because time's run out or the best because we need to get the next season started because that's when the sky deal kicks in yeah it's listen i'm not going to lie it's, it's it's not an easy situation for any fa uh, to be in but i'll put the the question to you thomas that that i put to william is the a league restructure <clears throat> i don't want to say simple but is it an easier way to get us out of the the situation that we're in right now. Well, I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it does that. In all honesty, I mean, I get the. That's not to say that I don't understand the argument for league reconstruction. I, I absolutely do. I don't think anybody. I don't know many. I should say people who are even that appreciative of the split. I think it's fairly to use the phrase tin pot any league that splits. I mean, just play out a league season and have everybody playing everybody. And you don't need to split it between top bottom six. It's just a a nonsense, right? But league reconstruction doesn't answer this question right now in that did you play the season now or did you finish it early? League reconstruction still has to answer to that question. So, for example, if I play that out practically, the concern is somebody has to be relegated and somebody has to be promoted, right? But what you're going to say is league reconstruction. Okay, you answer the part about somebody being relegated because you can encompass... Hearts, for example, and say, well, in a league reconstruction, they stay in the Premiership, and the team who would have been promoted from the first, sorry, from the Championship, can be lifted up or two teams or whatever. Doesn't answer Partick Thistle's issue unless it's re- league reconstruction all the way down, right? And then it doesn't answer the winners of the Premiership answer. Uh, sorry, question. That's still there. League reconstruction does not answer that. Who would be the champions of the last? split SPFL before it went to reconstruction. So there is no there's no definitive answer just because you're saying reconstruction. Could we not just call all the champions Corona? It, it could be the Corona Cup and everybody gets gets the cough in it or, or whatever that looks like. But <laughs> I think I think the point still holds that if it's reconstruction that's a great outcome because we need to do something different. But it still leaves the question of who walks away with the league title this season. Absolutely, and like I say, I don't know the best way to answer the question. I don't know because because even if you go down the null and void uh, route, why then you're still going to have teams in the championship saying, "Well, we spent well, I mean in Scotland, what is it, sixty pence? We spent sixty pence to get promoted this season, and we only had fifty pence in the bank." So you're still going to have teams, uh, i.e., Dundee United's, and I would be absolutely gutted, guys, if they didn't get promoted this season. But um, you have teams like Dundee United saying, "Well, hold on a minute, we've budgeted to get promoted. We were we were on target to get promoted, and if you now avoid it and you leave things the way they are, then they could be in financial trouble." Sob sob. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think either way you're going to have unhappy teams up and down the league, uh, folk feeling aggrieved over over everything, over or we're top by X amount of points, or we're still in the the hunt to kind of stay in the league kind of thing. But nah, it's it's a difficult kind of question to kind of answer. They can do what they do. Great kids, they can do what they do in in primary schools now. Everybody in the league could get a thanks for taking part medal, and nobody. <laughs> The, the winner or the loser. Everybody should get a wee pat need. Thanks very much for taking part, and we'll see you next season. 
all the best, and we'll keep the check. Listen, I, I'm offended by that because I've still got all my thanks for taking part in medals to school. But well, listen, we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll, um, yeah, thanks very much for taking. But often we think that about you on this pod as well. We just have it. <laughs> Congratulations on finishing fifteenth in a fourteen-person race. That's, that's. <laughs> but listen, we shall move on for there, um, and we'll talk about the statement that Rangers released today. Well, it, it's um, is it fair to say that Rangers have took a firm stance and pretty much saying that in order to complete the season, you have to play the thirty-eight games. Yeah, they have. I think they've pretty much summed up all the, all the fans' opinions as well. I think we'd rather the league was played out and everybody was kind of deserving of their, of their awards and of their, their relegations and whatnot. And Thomas, Rangers, also in the Rangers statement, sorry, I should say, they immediately propose a sort of member's resolution to release prize money, which is to be distributed to all clubs across Scotland. And the question I've got for you is, the, the prize money that's distributed depending on where you finish in the league, where does that go? Who gets what and what position? Well, I think there's a, a couple of things to this. One, the, the, the short answer to that would be if it's based on the mathematical proposition that the SPFL have put forward for the lower leagues in their statement, then one would say you would apply the mathematical proposition of points per, per game one or whatever to the Premiership and that's how you'd work it out. I actually think Rangers have been fairly cute with this because... If you distribute the prize money as is, it means you can't change the league positions and then the prize money's been distributed. It also makes the SPFL have to say, well, what are we going to distribute? Would Celtic necessarily get the champions' share of the money? So I think what Rangers are doing, whilst whilst alongside helping out the smaller clubs, because that's the, the whole rationale of this, and it's the second time in a short space of time that Rangers have stepped out and said, first of all, it was helping their own staff by not following them. Second of all, it's putting the members' resolution on the table to help the smaller clubs as well. But it forces the SPFL to have a think and come out with something concrete to say, how do you distribute the prize money before you necessarily agree who's won the prize? And that, that, well, that is the big question. And another question people ask, Wally, with regards to kind of prize money is also TV money and I'm not 100% sure how TV money is distributed but I, and again I realise this is a question that maybe nobody can answer but how does the TV money and all that get distributed as well because I don't even think we're 100% sure if Sky and BT are going to pay out for games that, that haven't been played yet Yeah I've heard the kind of rumours as well about Sky and, and BT maybe not paying out because we haven't fulfilled our contracts but I'm not really too sure about the the, the prize uh, the TV money. Sorry, I think it maybe goes alongside the the prize money. If I'm if I'm honest, I'm not really too sure what to add to that. To be honest, this is all way, way above me. <laughs> it's way above me as well. But that's why we've got Thomas on the pod tonight. Don't worry about it. Well, let me let me be quite clear. I think all of this is above me most of most of the time, um, and I'm sure that uh, the listeners would agree with that as well. But without being overly close to the TV money. You shouldn't necessarily think of those things as separate. The TV money informs the prize money. That's how, to a large extent, sponsorship would work. So uh, an, an example that's actually in my head, but it's not it's not related to Scotland, is I think you get something like £190,000 for actually winning the Carabao Cup. 
So that's the prize money that's associated to that. And then there's appearance money and everything related to that throughout the, the actual competition, which is then shared out on a how far did you get, did you have a home or away tie and all this type of thing. So the prize money for the sponsorship of the league or the TV rights is all tied into that. You use it for your, your capital, so to speak, in terms of when they're distributing the prize money and then what filters down into the lower leagues as well in terms of our additional you know, grassroots stuff. So I wouldn't think of it as you know, different from being you get the prize money and then there's the TV money. They, they work into each other to, to a large extent. I'd be less concerned from a contractual point of view with Sky because we've signed up for the exclusive, exclusive Sky deal from next season. So any real issue that Sky had, they could turn around and say, well, actually, even if we wanted to claw back the money, what we'll do then is we just won't you know, pay as much as we agreed next season or over the course of the new contract. I would sense that the big issue would probably be with BT Sports, particularly the way that the um, relationship ended. So if anybody's going to be wanting to really claw back the money, it's going to be BT. And, and just finally on this, and I'll bring this to you, Willie. There was a, there was a, a, a I would say a, a statement of intent at the end of the statement, if that makes sense, uh, from Rangers, where they said that they will, and I, and I want to quote, but I don't have it in front of me, so I'll quote from my brain, that any attempts to railroad changes to existing changes or uh, run roughshod over uh, corporate governance will be opposed, and this is this is the, the part I like, in the strongest possible terms. Yeah, it's good to see the kind of club coming out and, and fighting our corner and wanting everything open, open discussions. Um, it's probably the best for all of us, so we know where we stand. I think the kind of statements have been coming out recently as well. I think uh, David Graham has been been doing fantastic, kind of trying to keep us informed as, as much as he can, and, and hopefully we can get a rational, fair and a balanced decision uh, made. And that's actually quite a good point that I'd like you to pick up on, Thomas David Graham. That's two statements in a couple of days. And firstly, are you impressed by the, the, the tone of the Rangers' statements and are you happy with what you've seen for David Graham so far? Yeah, uh, to both of those questions, happy with the, the balance and the tone of the statements and for me, the right timing of them as well. I like statements that actually have a, have a point to them and, and set the narrative. And I think David appears to be doing that, which is always where I think Rangers should be leading. And it's it's good to see the positions we've taken up in terms of you know supporting the people at the club and then trying to support uh, our friends in the lower leagues uh, as well. In terms of David's personal performance, I, I'm sure he's all you know all over these, and there is a step change in terms of the way that Rangers seem to be going about the the statements. Just to go back as well to something William quite rightly touched on, what I think's particularly important in the second statement that had come out is the need to really be transparent from the SPFL within this decision-making when it applies to the, the Premiership, in particular that who gets the trophy question. We have a transparency problem in Scottish football in general, and we have a particular uh, transparency issue when it comes to the SPFL board. I point again to people like Walter McLennan. Uh, it was pretty disappointing, you know, for example, that there was a great Price of Football podcast recently with Kieran Maguire, etc., with Neil Doncaster. You don't get that up here, but there he is having that conversation, and it's a really good podcast. Uh, we don't get that level of interrogation of the facts up here with the SPFL, SPFL board. So I think it's right that Rangers not only position themselves to, you know, quite rightly to be helping lower league club members, 
and those in financial difficulty, which is quite a lot in Scotland, but also making it very clear that we will not allow a lack of transparency in a decision-making process behind closed doors that materially affects the club, the fans, and the integrity of the the, uh, the, the league. So here, here to Rangers, and I'm sure that they will absolutely stand by that requirement for transparency in the decision-making process. Absolutely, and going forward, if we get statements like we've, we've got the last couple of days, then David Graham's done a fine job for me. Now, at the start of the pod, I mentioned that I had sat down with John Gibbons of the Anfield Rap podcast, and we started off by discussing Liverpool Board's decision to put their non-playing staff on furlough, and then after a little bit of fan and media pressure, reverse that decision. John Gibbons of the Anfield Rap, um, many thanks and welcome to This Is Ibrox. Pleasure, thanks for having me. Not a problem, not a problem. So, um, how are you and your, your family now coping with lockdown and <laughs> being in the same room? <laughs> yeah, we're okay, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I've got a, a, a little boy who's, who's seven months old, so, um, you know, it's... It's nice having him in a way because he doesn't really care about Corona. He doesn't know what it is and all that, but also he doesn't really care about the Anfield Rappers podcast either. So he's uh, <laughs> he's 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 appeared as an uh, unplanned guest on a few shows. I think it's fair to say screaming in the background and all that. But but yeah, so it's the challenges of of recording from home and working from home. I'm sure you guys have been through all the same. But you know we're all healthy at the moment, so we can't complain. No, that, that's the main thing, and, and like I says to you, I'm sitting in my car recording because <laughs> my daughter won't leave me alone, so I don't know how you feel. Um, so we could maybe just start off with um, Liverpool, actually, and the decision to put their non-playing staff on furlough, and then the decision to change back, um, was that just simply because of fan pressure, media pressure? Yeah, I think so, yeah, I think... You know, you've got to be fair to the, the owners in some senses in that they've always listened when there's been, I guess, a backlash or, or, or a negative reaction to a decision they've made. You know, it's not the first time this has happened. There was something around uh, ticket prices a few years ago where they wanted to bring in, you know, more tiers and dynamic ticket pricing, I think they they, they called it, uh, which is basically, um, you know, just a greater range of, of, of pricing and, and people, you know, weren't, weren't happy about it. So they, they, they kind of back down on that and then on this again. So so they do, they do listen. Obviously, you prefer them not to make the mistakes in the first place and maybe do a bit of, you know, consultation before they do these things. But... Uh, but yeah, they, they do normally get <laughs> get to where everyone <laughs> wants them to in the end. What was the kind of the thoughts of your, yourself and, and the, the majority of Liverpool fans about the initial decision? Or was it was it shock or was it kind of expected? No, it was it was shock. It came out of nowhere, really, and I think that's what kind of blindsided people is that I don't think they expected Liverpool to make such a drastic decision so quickly. Um, I, I think all of us are starting to get our heads around, you know, just how serious this is and how much it's going to affect football generally, but also football clubs. And I think, you know, many of us anyway, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of us, I think, have, have an idea of football clubs being, you know, having all this money and being very wealthy whereas I think that the kind of the truth is, isn't always necessarily you know that I think having a lot of football clubs have kind of built on sand and you know are going to end up being in trouble but I think 
you know, so the, the, look, whenever Liverpool do something, there'll always be some people who will find fault in whatever they do, and and so you. But I think I think there was a lot of people who were, who were a bit more reasonable, who were a bit more kind of level-headed. Some people who I've never seen criticise the club. You know, some journalists before you know really went to town on it, and I think it was the idea of you know when you've got footballers um, on a hundred grand a week plus. It, it's not a great look that you you got the government to pay for the tea lady, and I think that's that's the kind of you know where, where everyone kind of ended up with it really is instinctively this just feels wrong. And look, the football club's going to have some tough decisions to make in the future. You know, it, there is going to be a financial knock-on effect of this, but this didn't feel like the first thing that the club should have done really. Um, you know. W- what what page what pay cuts are the executives taking? You know what what what's the chairman doing? What what are the owners prepared to to put in themselves of their vast fortunes to help us get to the other side of this? What are the players looking to do? And then I think after that you look at you know the admin staff who were on sort of twenty thirty grand a, a year, and I think they did the easiest thing first. But just because it's the easiest thing to do, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And I think that's that's where everyone kind of got to with it. But they've they've changed their mind for now. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what they do decide to do, and we'll see because they are they are going to have to do something. And I think that that's where we have to be fair as opposed to clubs is there is going to be a knock on effect. So is that going to be you know if they say okay, well we've done you know got to the other side, but we're not going to buy any players for twelve months. You know how would we feel about that as as supporters? You, you can't have it. You can't have it. Everything. You can't have your cake and eat it. Even though we try our best. Yeah, I, I, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. But that's the thing. We're just going to have to wait and see what the what the future holds because we're not one hundred percent sure. In fact, nobody knows how long this this lockdown is going to last. But um, well, we can move on to the the kind of main man, your captain, your gaffer. Um, obviously. When Stevie G first made the move um, to Rangers, there was obviously a lot of fanfare. Um, I suppose there was a lot of you guys as podcast fans were quite interested to see how he gets on. Is there still the same kind of fanfare and interest around uh, what Stevie G's doing up north? I think definitely. I think there is. I think you know people are, are paying a lot more attention to to the Scottish Premier League. Obviously, I think people generally would have a have a Scottish team, you know, in certainly in Liverpool or whoever that might be. You know, it's different teams depending on you know well the background or whatever. But I think people. But I think obviously when when you guys had the you know had the relegations and and start from scratch, I think people stop really paying attention to what was going on in Scotland because Celtic were just walking it every year and so it wasn't like a thing of interest really whereas uh, Rangers coming back into the Premier League and then Gerard going there kind of reminded everyone oh oh yeah there's there's, there's a competitive league up there now and, it, and it's worth kind of you know taking note of what I would say is in particular I think what Rangers have done in Europe's really grabbed people's attention and I think you know it's a shame from Steven Gerrard's point of view that the, that the league campaign you know tailed off and, and went badly after the after the break but I think people are almost more interested in what he's been doing in Europe anyway and there's been some really eye-catching results some really good performances and some really good tactical setups really and I think you know if you're talking about Steven Gerrard there's a potential Liverpool manager uh, in the future which to be fair most people are including Steven Gerrard um, then I think almost kind of what he does in Europe is you know, it's, it's seen as, as as kind of you know the the, the big test, and because because Liverpool are a, a club with a really proud European history, and and we want to be doing well in those competitions, and so seeing how you know he goes to difficult places in Portugal and gets wins, like you know, does kind of you know 
make people, um, you know, raise a few eyebrows and uh, get a few glances. Yeah, well, I think anybody who's followed um, Stevie G's career shouldn't be surprised by how well he's doing in Europe because that's <laughs> where he excels as, a, excels as a player. So there is still a lot of talk then about one day um, Stevie G becoming Liverpool manager then. That's not died down. No, not really. I mean, one thing that has happened um, in the last sort of six months or so is that Jürgen Klopp signed a new contract. So uh, it, it's it sort of looked like he wasn't going to. And although that seems mad... Um, He's actually been at Liverpool quite a long time now. It's coming up for four, well, it's just over four years. And so, so I think there's the idea of, well, you, you know, he, he, he was thinking, well, I'll do a couple more and then, and then I'll, you know, go and do something else, whatever that something else might be. Now he has signed a new deal and it looks like he's going to be here a little bit longer. And so the conversations just happen less because it's just less pressing. So instead of the idea of, well, in two, in two summers' time, we're going to need a new manager, now it, it looks like it's going to be a little bit further down the line. I don't think that's necessarily a, be- a bad thing for Steven Gerrard. I think, you know, it, it gives him more time to, to, to make it feel like he's ready. He might have, you know, the idea of what he wants to do before he felt ready to take take the Liverpool job on. So I don't think it's a, you know, it's necessarily a bad thing for, for, for Gerrard either, but it just means the conversations around, well, who's the next Liverpool manager you know, have just sort of died down a little bit, really, because, you know, it, it feels a little bit further along the line now. Uh, I must admit, when Jurgen Klopp signed a new contract, I was delighted. <laughs> 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 Absolutely delighted. But is, is there maybe an issue for Gerard that if, if he can't cl- kind of close that gap on self? I mean, he has closed the gap. That's that's not fair. But if he doesn't win anything, if he isn't successful up in Scotland, that might really harm his chances of getting a Liverpool job. Yeah, I think he needs to do something. I think, you know, there's, we're all hoping that Liverpool are still in a fantastic position whenever Jürgen Klopp leaves. So you look at us now, we're, we're top of the Premier League, we're current European and world champions and, and, and what a place to be. And, you know, it, it might not be quite as perfect as that when Klopp tends to leave, but you'd, you'd hope we're still, you know, one, you know, one of the top one or two clubs in, 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 in England. You'd hope we're, we're still a team who's getting to the latter stages of, of European football. And so if we are still that club, then, you know, you, you you look at it. You know, you, a manager with a, with a fantastic track record to take over, someone who's able to continue that success. And and so I think for, for Gerard, you know, he will be thinking, well, if I want to put, if I feel like I want to put myself forward for that job, if I want to be taken seriously as a candidate for that, I think there does need to be, you know, trophies. I would imagine, and 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 that's more likely to come come from winning a league in Scotland. And so so while the the European stuff I think is important, and and I think is. You know, shows that you know he's he's a, maybe a, a different type of manager than what people were expecting. You know, if if people may be thinking, oh, he'd be all bluster and passion, but actually, I think he's proved himself tactically in these games. And so, but I think at some point, there probably there probably does need to be trophies because, as I say, you know, I think the the standard of you know Liverpool's risen in the last few years in terms of the club. It is thankfully, you know, since Jurgen's come in, he's taken over a club who was on the edges of the Champions League spaces for about 10 years, really, you know, we were, we were always a will the or won't the qualify for the Champions League. So we, we, you know, we'd be fourth one year, fifth the next and things like that. Whereas now 
win a club who's, you know, I mean, it's hard to talk about about leagues when you don't know what's going to happen. But you know, we are <laughs> we are we are currently top of the Premier League, having finished second last year. You know, ninety six points last year, and, and and looking like a really big haul this year. And and you don't see Liverpool kind of sliding that much. You know, that's not to say we're going to win league titles every year. Of course, we're not. But you don't see us, you know, suddenly going back to this club who's in in the Champions League one year out the next. So I guess what I'm in saying in a roundabout way is that you know if Liverpool remained and like an elite club, then you know they really have to be looking for an elite level manager. And, and, and Gerard knows that, and he knows that it's it's about more than just being Steven Gerrard in that sense. Well, uh, I, I certainly hope that Jurgen Klopp's the Liverpool manager for the foreseeable, because I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly still one of those Rangers supporters who's who's on the Gerrard train. Um, but there, there, there was one one player in particular that I really wanted to talk to you about, and that's Shea Ojo. Now, what, before Shea came up up north uh, on Lonely Rangers, what was the talk in Liverpool about Shea, about his potential? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think generally people thought, you know, the potential was, was very high. Um, he's... <laughs> He's obviously not a Liverpool boy, but he came through our academy. We had a policy um, about five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, of of looking at the best teenage talents in the country and, and, and trying to sort of nick them, essentially. So we signed a few lads between, aged between 14 and 16. Uh, and to be fair, his policy, you know, it, it, it was a successful one. So Raheem Sterling came as part of that. Obviously, you know, he doesn't pay for us anymore, but we got 50 million quid for him. And so that has to be deemed, you know, a success from a, from a, from an academy point of view. Um, Jordan Ibe was part of that uh, group as well. Um, we got good money from him from Bournemouth. And then, and then Shea Ojo was sort of around the same time. So, so it was 15, 16 year olds who'd shown huge amounts of promises and promise, sorry. And, and persuading them that Liverpool was the best place for them. So he came in sort of that group. So he hasn't got the connection of fans of someone like a Gerard who's been there since he was eight or nine or whatever and has come through. But but he we did have our iron on because you know we knew that the club had spent a few quid to get him in and and he's an eye catching footballer, isn't he? The, the, the concern with with Ojo came that he, it's not his first loan and the loan periods generally went along the same track was it start pretty well and then it drift off and you know you'd speak to fans and they'd say you know we either you know we came in and looked great and then didn't really look start to look less interested or you know just couldn't do it week after week and it would be one good performance and then and then and then two average ones and so so the concern was you were seeing the same a similar sort of pattern but then he'd come back to Liverpool and do the pre-season games and wouldn't look out of place with, you know, with top-level players. And so you think, well, there is something there. I think he's got all the skills in the world, but you just wanted one of these... You were just waiting for one of these loan spells to to really ignite. And, you know, like it, like it has with, with, with other players. And you look at... Um, Oh, so Will Harry Wilson, uh, um, and so so he so he's he's obviously doing really well at Bournemouth. He he had a couple of loans that didn't go particularly well. He had one at Crew, I think, and and then and then he went to Hull and did really really well. And then and then uh, Derby went did really well. And then now he's doing well in Bournemouth. So you were like, well, so you didn't want to worry too much. You like he just needs this one of these loans to go well. And I was really hopeful of the Rangers one because I thought he loved that because he's. 
he's got a bit of ego about him, um, Shea Ojo, which I think sort of didn't help him on some of these championship moves as well. He felt a bit, I think a bit, a bit above it all, to be honest with you. Um, so when he went, when Rangers came in, I thought, sorry, oh, love that. You know, I, I mean, I've been to Ibrox. It's a brilliant stadium. I know what the fans are like. I know the passion there. I know, you know, it's, it, he's playing in front of big crowds every week. It's top of the table stuff. So he's going to see a lot of the ball. And I thought this is, I, I got really excited about it. I thought this is a great move for him. Obviously working with Gerard as well. And I know you guys have ended up just as frustrated with him as, as the other fans. And so, You've just got to start to worry, really, and think. Well, you know, is it ever going to happen for him? Really, is that what you know? What is what kind of club does he want? Because you know, we've you've, we've put him in the place where you know the way he's got to fight for a bit, you know. But going to somewhere who, as I say, right at the top of the table, I'm sure you're used to having sort of sixty percent plus possession. He's he's got it set up for him there. Passionate fans, he's got everything he could possibly want to make it, and it's and it's still not happening for him. And so so I worry a bit with him. Really, is like, well, what what does what does his ideal club like look like? I don't know. He, he might be one who just ends up, you know, going to play in France or something and kind of does okay in a league like that. Because, yeah, I, I think I think now I think Liverpool fans are starting to think because obviously as I said before we've progressed so much as well. So the finishing line for him's getting further away. Really getting into this Liverpool team's harder than it, than it's ever been. And so I think. I think this is probably the loan that, that has made Liverpool fans think, you know what, it's, it's not going to happen for him here. You know, it, it's probably best for him sort of looking for something else. That's the, that's the strange thing we all Joe, because like you say, when he first came in, he looked good. He's got yeah. pace, he's got power, he's, he's so strong. He's got all the potential there to be a top-class player. But he, he just he doesn't show it enough, and and that's yeah. what I was going to say. You know, is is the fact now that he's failed at Rangers is that pretty much time up now at Liverpool for him? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think you know there was there was excuses you could make for him in the past because you know it is difficult in the Championship, for example, or you know he was going to places where, as I say, you know they'd end up fighting for the, fighting for relegation a bit, and you think, well, is it is he Ojo? Is that right for him? Rangers, it just felt like. You know, it was a perfect place for him to go and express himself, to to play attacking football, to play for a manager who obviously believed him, to you know, as I say, to play for a big club. What he wanted, what he where he thinks in his head he should be, and it's not worked there either. And so you think, well, what you know, what more can you do? Well, yeah, another man who came on loan and we ended up signing permanently was Ryan Kent. Um, now, <clears throat> I, I knew pretty pretty early on. Uh, this, at the start of this season that we were going to sign Kent because there's no hope in hell he's good enough for Liverpool um, but see, when, again when he first came through was he quite similar to the to the Ojo that you thought well a couple of loan spells and, and we'll see where he goes for there I think Kent yeah Ryan Kent's another one because he, he's not a Liverpool boy either and so I think he sort of he wasn't really one that was talked about in the city as oh you know he's a big new thing uh, I, I can't remember where he's from exa- exactly um, I think he's sort I of like is he yeah 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 so he's so he's he's one of the they've sort of poached and he's come up and you know he he scored some like catching goals for the reserves and stuff like that but I think. <sighs> You know, it's with 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 Ryan Kent. He, he was just never really one that the fans kind of took to for for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe maybe Tarsals and mistrust of Southerners. I'm not sure. But like, he was just never he was just never quite one where they were like, oh, but but he but he, he again looked good in some preseason games, and you could tell he was a footballer. He just didn't quite look on 
on the same wavelength as everyone else sometimes. Whereas I guess I mean to be fair, Ojo did. You know what I mean? He 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 was he was linking up well with with the other attacking players and looking like you could see how he could be. You know, a fit for Liverpool. I think for Kent. I don't know. He just seems to be like he's a bit of a throwback sort of Kent, isn't he? You know, like he's a bit, he's like a nineties player. He's a bit old school. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's nice in a way. Do you know what I mean? But for, for Liverpool, who are now like, you know, a team who press from the front and it's all interchanging and it's, you know, formations, but they're very fluid and stuff like that. He just, he just looked like, like, I don't know, like you were throwing, as I say, like a, a, a sort of 90s Premier League player in there, really. But obviously talented, and he was he was enjoyable to watch. I used to like watching him. You know, he was he was entertaining and all the stuff that you guys are seeing. And what I like about Ryan Kent watching him with you as well is that he, he, he gets big goals as well, doesn't he? And I think that's, that shows personality. And he always had personality as a player, yeah. But for some reason, I don't know, he just didn't seem like, you know... He, he was never like, oh, the next big thing, Ryan Kent, he's going to break through, break through. I think, I think there was always the kind of suspicion that that he was one that was that was going to end up playing somewhere else, and obviously that's what's happened. I think that it's kind of similar as well, actually, to Ojo. That the problem is you've got Manny, Firmino, and Salah. Now there's yeah. not many young kids that are going to break through and 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 take their places, but I think I know seven million is isn't even pocket change to Liverpool, but I, I certainly think Liverpool get the the best end of that deal anyway I'll say that for sure <laughs> um, um, uh, this, this depresses me slightly um, Jordan Rossiter um, I thought I would just quickly ask you about him because I remember when he first came through at Liverpool and I'm sure he was talked about as one of the next next yeah. best things and a few injuries and then we signed him and I was absolutely delighted I, was, I thought well, we can keep him fit that is a top class Premier League player but unfortunately the poor boy just kind of keeps fit. Yeah. No, it's sad. And Rossiter is one that Liverpool fans do have genuine affections for because he was, he was, he was, you know, the kid that was signed when he was seven or eight, he'd been right through the academy and people were talking about him all the time as a player who could run games of football. And that's what everyone said. You, you know, you spoke to, he watched a lot of academy football. He was working there. He was like, this lad's the real deal. He gets on the ball. He dictates games. He passes it. And, so there was a lot of buzz about Rossiter in the city and a lot of hope for him. And uh, then he makes his debut. I think he scored on his debut. He certainly scored his first start at Anfield. Uh, League Cup game. Uh, ball comes, you know, breaks out for him and, and the keeper's out, out of position. And he, and he slots it from 40 yards or something, I think it was. And you're like, oh, here we go. There's a confident boy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not... You know, I don't want people who haven't seen it to get excited. Oh, he scored for 40 yards. The keeper was out. You know what I mean? But he, but he had the confidence to do it. You know, and 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 take it. And you just thought, good on him. And he looked chuffed. You know what I mean? Like he's only he was, he was a tiny kid at that point. Do you know what I mean? But but he but he looked he looked so happy. And you were made up for him. And so. You know, well, like I was saying before about Kent, there never really being the bond there between the fans and him because he didn't really feel like one of us. Like Rossiter did, and so that was we were so hopeful that he was the next one. And obviously, it was it was coming to the end of Gerard's career, so the, all the comparisons were there. Um, I think the club were really pushing him as as a, as a prospect. And you know, he was he was doing bits of media stuff. He was talking, and and it all looked set up for him. And then, as you say, the injuries just crippled him really and you feel sorry for players like that because you know it doesn't matter how good your attitude is or it doesn't matter how much you want it some some 
bodies just aren't built for professional football and and it looks like his was one of them and it must be heartbreaking for him when he sees you know lads who who he used to play with going off and doing things and and what they're doing and and he's you know his career's just never really got going at all I know I'm certainly of the opinion if he wasn't injury prone he he would be playing in that Liverpool midfield right now I, I genuinely think that highly of him and I've only seen him four times or something like that <laughs> the time he's been here um, but, but, but listen John before I let you go I have to ask about the current league situation um, now I have to start this by saying that there's far more important things going on in the world right now than football but if we just look at this from a total football perspective I don't think anybody expects the leagues to be finished, do they? I think, I don't know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, it's it's funny because it's in England, it's become like a, a financial question above anything else. And, and that's quite, it's quite sad really in a way that it's, that it's come down to that. So for a while there was this case of, well, do you, is it better to finish a, a, a league that's already running and get it done, and, and that's better for the, the you know the, the competition and, and you know the idea of you know what's fair, or is it better to just say look we'll scrap it and when we're ready to start again, whatever that is, we'll start afresh. And so there's that kind of like conversation going on between people about what's the right thing to do. And then basically the, the clubs came out and went, well, actually, if we cancel the league, Sky are going to want all this money back and we can't afford it, so we've got to finish it. And you're like, well, I mean, that's that's sort of sad in a way, isn't it? That that's what it comes down to, is it? It all comes down to money. And maybe that's me being a bit like naive and wet behind the ears. I don't know. But it, it is it is a shame if to think that, you know, whatever's decided will be the will be like well what's what what gives the clubs most money but I think that probably is what's happened. The thing in the in the Premier League at the moment is they're still saying that the determination's there to finish it, no matter where that will be, you know, whether that's sort of behind closed doors or, you know, going off to China to all play it or some crazy stuff going being said. But but we'll see. I'm I'm just I'm taking it sort of day by day and week by week like everyone is, I suppose, and just you know, we, we don't know when it's going to be. We don't know where, when the, the football is going to be back on. So it's hard to know what that football is going to look like without that. So I don't know. We'll wait and see. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take any football at the moment, though. <laughs> whatever's on offer. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> As, uh, see, the, the, the problem we've got is that our TV deal, I think, is about 75 pence a year. So we don't have much, <laughs> much, of, a, much of a TV deal. But, do you know what? Actually, I'm not that, my English team's West Ham, right? Don't ask me why. I think I've seen them on the TV one day, but I, I genuinely feel sorry for Liverpool fans because I don't think there's anybody on, on this planet that would say that Liverpool aren't going to win that league. So see if it becomes a kind of, if it's unavoidable and it becomes a null and void situation, even though Liverpool were, I think, is it two wins away from winning the league? Yeah. If it became null and void, would Liverpool fans, after waiting so long, be happy to be given the league? I think you'd you'd always rather win it, wouldn't you? It's hard because because we we're, we're thirty years without a league title, as most people don't know. And you know, you've you've thought about that moment over and over in your head, haven't you? And it's always been a lovely sunny day. You know, you win it at home, you get the title, everyone goes mad, you all celebrate together out on the town with all your mates and. 
you know, it's never like, you know, all, all, all the wild fantasies and how different they might have been. It's never been, oh, you've just been given it because it's, because, you know, from, for administration purposes. And so it's, it's, it's difficult. I think, you know, because they are so far ahead, it's, it's 25 points. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's unprecedented, really. You know, the Premier League's normally at least a bit tighter than that. Is that it would it would kind of seem ridiculous if they weren't giving it? I know there's there's now countries who are doing it. Is it Belgium? I think it is who who've basically Aye. finished it and just said, well, these are the champions. This is what we're doing, and, and so that's what they might decide to do. I think I think I would. So we we take it because it's, they so clearly deserve it. I think if we were three points clear and you awarded it, you'd feel a bit sort of grubby, wouldn't you? And think, well, anything could have happened from there. Really, whereas I think because they so clearly are champions, that that I think I think we'd still feel we earned it. But it's not the way you dream of it, is it? When you when you you know you know you're boying your back garden and pretending you're scoring the goal to clinch the title for your team. It's it's really it's really not the way you dream. Uh, do you feel it would kind of deflate the the feeling? Yeah, it's just, and as I say, it just it feels a bit cruel to be honest with you. And, and look, you 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 said it very you said it very eloquently in the in the build up to this section that there are more important things, and so you don't want to moan about it too much. But then football is life for us, isn't it? For for supporters like ourselves who are dedicated, who who, who love it enough to start a bloody podcast about it. You know what I mean? Like we're we're we're, we're it's it's what it's part a huge part of our lives. It's it's our identity, isn't it? As as people, you know, if someone said to me, you know, oh, oh what are you? I'd I'd say a Liverpool fan before before anything else, do you know what I mean? And um you know it's it's so that's 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 who we are and and, and we are, you know you know, so much of our emotions are in this that that and and this this journey we've been on to to kind of become English champions again, this obsession almost as it be kind of become become is 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 so close and you know it it's been sort of taken or at least pushed back by the most ridiculous situation that you know you couldn't write is it does feel a little bit cruel i'll be honest with you but we're gonna have to sort of cough for it and deal with it like everyone else in the world i suppose yeah some of us love football so much that they'll ignore their families and sit in a car to record the podcast <laughs> yeah well, John, exactly John, thanks very much you've been absolutely brilliant and and thanks for taking we talked to us. No problem anytime. Yeah, big thank you, uh, John Gibbons, for the Anfield draft there. And, and Thomas, it's nice to get a, a wee flavour of uh, what's happening down south and, and, and what do you think a little bit about, about our league? Yeah, definitely really interesting with regarding the, the focus that was on Gerard's European results, the performances and the tactics that had shaped some of those results as well. And some of uh, John's comments round about Ojo coming to maybe the end of his, or the fans' tether down in Liverpool as well. I kind of slightly suspected that, that he's a player that might have to go elsewhere. But more than anything else, it's another strong indication of how good and how thorough fan-led content like This Is Ibrooks and like the Anfield rap is in terms of getting the on-the-ground fans feeling about how clubs are operating, as opposed to some of the more sensationalist uh, mainstream media takes on it. I- I'm all for the fan content view. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And listen, guys, I think that'll do us for this week. I- again, I say it every week, but the, the pods went a little bit longer than I expected. But uh, 
a big thank you to Willie, a big thank you to Thomas, a big thank you for, from me for listening, and we shall speak to you next week.